podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Welcome to Double Century on the 99.94 Podcast Network. The year is 1731, and the first laws of cricket have not yet been written. They still use notches to describe runs. A Middlesex 11 have just beaten Sussex in Chichester for a sum of 100 guineas. The Sussex team now wants a return match in Richmond Green for 200 guineas. The teams are named after their owners. This was quite normal back then. The Middlesex side is owned by Thomas Chambers, Sussex by Charles Lennox, the second Duke of Richmond. He actually arrives late. There is a delay at the start. His team makes 79, Chambers 11 makes 119, and Richmond's 11 now gets bowled out for 72. So Chambers 11 only needs 33 runs. In fact, they need about 8 to 10 notches with about 4 to 5 wickets left when their time runs out. The public isn't happy about this at all. They have staked a lot of money on this match. There is a full-fledged riot at the ground. Some Sussex players have their shirts torn off their backs. There are threats of lawsuits. Richmond retires to the village of Slindon, which borders on his Godwood estate. He breaks his leg, quite literally, in 1733. But that is all we hear of him for the next 10 years. Then in 1741, he returns to cricket with his team, which he affectionately calls Poor Little Slender. This is a revolutionary team. This season is about rich people who decided they would make cricket better, more about them, or sometimes both. Maybe they wanted to profit from it or just insert themselves into an 11 they had no right to be in. But they had the money, and cricket was purchased by them for their own wants and needs. Welcome to the people who bought cricket. This episode is about Charles Lennox, the second Duke of Richmond, who was the first great patron in the history of the sport. The early cricketers were children and miners and factory workers, clergymen, but by the 17th century, it became a popular betting sport, just like horse raiding and cockfighting. Maybe betting was even more fun if actual human beings played a part instead of animals. It became so rampant that Charles II had to pass the Gaming Act of 1664. The act restricted the betting amount to £100 a day. This was still a huge amount, of course, but at least there was a cap. In 1697, the Foreign Post began the first newspaper to cover a cricket match. The money bet by cricketers came before everything in the early reports. This one read, In the middle of last week, a great match of cricket was played in Sussex. There were 11 aside, and they played for 50 guineas apiece. To win money, they invested money. Team owners hired the best professional cricketers of the area. The Duke of Richmond spotted Thomas Waywark, cricket's first great all-rounder. He recruited him, ostensibly as his groom, but then the role involved playing cricket for Richmond's side. This was back in the 1720s, nearly three centuries ago. By 1730, Waywark had become a star so big that a cricket match was postponed because he had taken ill. And remember that at this stage, cricket is just a haven for gamblers. At the same time, there was no coded law of the sport. The rules were mostly verbal, so it was easy for bookies to call the shots. In case of a dispute, they had their own way. This obviously led to confusion and cheating. To prevent this, Richmond insisted on penning down a list of articles of agreement for two matches against Alan Broderick's side. Richmond and Broderick got together to write these 16-point articles by hand. This was the first set of formally written laws of cricket. Of course, at that stage, they weren't even called laws. This was in 1727. In 1744, the actual first laws of cricket would be written. Richmond continued to play with his team in various locations until that Richmond Green fiasco of 1731. That's when he retires to Slindon. And over the next decade, he built a very strong side. 
the core of that were the Newland brothers, Richard, Adam, and John. Richard Newland was the best of the three bowlers, and he was an all-rounder, and also the first known left-handed cricketer. He was acknowledged as the best cricketer in England, and until Long Robin Colchin in 1745, no one challenged his supremacy. There was also Edward Aburrow Sr., nicknamed Cuddy, who came from a family of cricketers and criminals. His brother was, well, hanged to death. Cuddy Aburrow himself was a smuggler, but also a top cricketer. In 1741, Slindon beat Portsmouth by nine wickets in front of more than 5,000 people in Hampshire. That was their first recorded match. They won the odd game here and there, and some of them turned, well, violent. Hearty blows and broken heads took place every now and again. This was not uncommon for the Georgian era. After all, Richmond had himself a smuggler on his roster. Then, in a letter, Richmond mentioned how his poor little Slindon was going to take on the whole county of Surrey. Until this point, patrons owned personal teams, but the cricketers seldom came from areas that were bigger than small clusters of villages or parishes. Sometimes authorities pick cricketers from across England for ad hoc 11s. They might pull cricketers from a county or from three counties into one team and call it Kent, Surrey, and Sussex. But Richmond had taken things to the next level. Over the years, he had recruited his cricketers from the entire county of Sussex for his Slindon team. This was not for a one-off match. He funded and maintained a county-level team for a very long time. Yes, he called it Slindon, but it represented all of Sussex. Richmond had elevated village cricket to an inter-county sport nearly a century and a half before the county championship was born. Slindon's first recorded match was against a representative team of Surrey at Merrow Down. They won this match almost by an innings, and it was no ordinary game. In a letter to her husband, Richmond's wife Sarah wrote how she wished that the Sussage mob had thrashed the Surrey mob. As you can see, cricket's much hallowed past. It's maybe not quite as pristine as people make out. The win against Surrey made Slindon a nationwide sensation. Back then, London was the hub of cricket, and the London Cricket Club the strongest in England. They invited Slindon for two matches at the Artillery Club. Until this tour of London, Slindon had played 43 matches, and they had only lost once. But they had a rude shock on this tour. London won both of the games. Richmond wanted a third match for £100 at Guildford or South Downs, but London did not accept the challenge. That blow was quite hard on Richmond. He and his team spent the next year regrouping and preparing for the following season. So William Gage, another patron of cricket, passed away, and in his honour, a cricket game was played at the Artillery Guard. It's very hard to tell exactly who played. The teams varied from newspaper to newspaper. Some days, even in the same newspaper, two different teams were mentioned. But Richmond's papers detailed every score in the match. Slender made 102 and declared their second innings on 102 for six. London were bowled out for 79 and 70. This is also the first match for which both individual and team batting scores are actually available. Slindon finally had their revenge in a 55-run win. They would beat London again that year. And after that, they issued an open challenge to any cricket team in England. Addington and Bromley accepted this challenge. And the matches were played, but sadly no record survived. Slindon continued to dominate English cricket. The railways were not yet there and the roads were primitive, which made travel outside of Sussex quite difficult. To overcome this logistical barrier, they played five-a-side matches. Sometimes they played three-a-side matches with Stephen Dingate, Joseph Rudd, and Pye. They even played single-wicket cricket. After taking cricket from village to county level, Richmond had expanded his franchise to short, popular formats. He died in 1750. Six years later, the Seven Years' War began. With the money being diverted elsewhere, cricket went into a slump, not just in Sussex, but all over England. 
And when the county played cricket again in 1766, the team was called Sussex and not Slindon. By then, that name had faded away. Their last documented match in 1754, they lost to Midhurst and Petworth by eight wickets. The champion club of their era, a side that virtually represented all of Sussex County, sadly just disappeared without a whimper, losing to a village site. The idea had probably run its course by that point. It had served its purpose. Richmond had already done his bit for cricket. Before him, patrons of cricketers used to have local players on their payroll, and they hosted small-scale matches. Richmond dreamed bigger than that. He overcame logistical challenges, found the best cricketers from all of Sussex, put them on his payroll, and he took the first step towards converting cricket from a local betting sport into a professional county-level one, changing the game forever. The Duke of Richmond, Charles Lennox, is the last in our story on the people who bought cricket. We do have another mini-series coming up shortly on Kerry Packer, but for next week, we're going to have a few different episodes coming up, and then eventually we'll get to that Kerry Packer mini-series. Thank you to everyone for listening. Double Century is a podcast on the 99.94 network. You can download our app via the show notes or look for us on social media to see all the podcasts and audio we produce. If you prefer your podcast ad-free, you can support us on Patreon to get that version. You can find the link in the show notes. Double Century on 99.94 is a podcast narrated, produced, and co-written by me, Jared Kimber. Abhishek Mukherjee is the main writer, and Nick McCorriston edits, mixes, and co-produces the show. Podcast Network.